Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and as always, let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick, and how are you today on this fine day? I'm good. I'm getting ready for uh, Thanksgiving. Um, Looking forward to a couple of days off. Gobble, gobble. Yep. You know, how about yourself? Turkey, I am just lined up for the turkey, the, the whole the fan map, the whole nine yards. I am looking forward to it myself. What do you think to be watching on Thanksgiving Day? Any reruns or anything? The Macy's Parade, of course, but, you know, that reminds me. One of the things that we have been remiss in doing, I managed to get on the Smithsonian Channel. If you will go and look at the... Um, Air Warrior series on drones. There are like five vignettes, and and four of them are military. And the last one, but not least, is yours truly. Well, interesting. And so, uh, did they do you? Um, let's say you know. Sometimes some of these these interviews and whatnot. Um, let's say are very flattering or whatever. How how was the program? Actually, these folks did a really good job. They were talking. The the entire program was on the positive use of drone unmanned aircraft. And, uh, you know, even though they were military, they talked about saving lives and uh, the use of military assets out there in your neck of the woods and on the fires out there. And uh, they uh, uh, did a really good coverage of the the one – the one search and rescue that we were on that seems to, to get all the attention, the young child in Liberty County. But uh, it was I thought it was well done. It was probably one of the better ones that uh, I've seen, you know, other than the, obviously the first one that, uh, you know, uh, Ma and Gus put on was the best. But uh, it was a good one. I, I can't complain at all. It was, uh, it was a good depiction of how we can use drones for, for the good. Well, that's cool. That's good. So people can check that out. I'm sure there's reruns of that or on demand or whatever else. Yep, it's uh, it's on the web. I think it's on the intertube now uh, under the Smithsonian Channel Air Warriors. So you can look it up. It's just the uh, title is drones. All right, excellent. Uh, the other big one that's going on right now, or people are talking about, is the uh, drone regist- registration recommendations. And um, I know we've talked a little bit about it offline, and I've been talking to people offline about it, but uh, I'm not encouraged. You know, I, I, I think it's a convoluted mess. I don't, 
I, I think that we were uh, the only people that went on this deal are the FAA. I think two gifts were doled out. One, 250 grams as a uh, as a risk threshold for drones, which is bad. And I can't believe that the the people in the in the uh, task force didn't uh, ask the FAA to throw out the study that was used for uh, shrapnel and projectile projectiles from from explosions. That 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 correlates to to uh, plastic and foam drones. I, I don't get it. Comments, Gene. <laughs> well, you know, at, at least at this point we weren't firing frozen chickens at windshields. Uh, you know that that was the whole impetus behind a lot of the bird strike study that went on until they found out that uh, the chickens were frozen because they wouldn't stay together coming out of the cannons. Uh, I think the eight ounce that 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 whole eight ounce threshold is is a bit low. Myself, um, I don't know that there is anything in your local Best Buy or Target or mom and pops around the street department store that carries drones, which they all do, is going to weigh under eight ounces. Uh, I don't know that it's going to relieve anything to have that many people trying to register drones. Um, I don't know. And again, to me, they've also introduced the term toy to the, the whole discussion. If you'll recall, we had model aircraft and we had aircraft. Right. And they decided, well, you know, it's, it's time. We're going to level this playing field. We're just going to call it aircraft. And now we seem to have introduced this new term, toy, toy drone versus a real drone. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think that's good. And I don't think, also, I don't think the published uh, commercial baseline for mean time between failures now compared to unmanned aircraft, that was that was bad, too. I think talking to people in the industry, there are people that believe that uh, there are going to be people that are going to live to regret having their name as part of that task force. <laughs> you think so? I I, I do. I think uh, I think that that was a big mistake. I again, um, people that are advocating for this technology, you, you have people that don't know anything about the FAA, don't know anything about aviation, aren't engineers, and have no idea uh, on how, let's say, the regulatory process works. These are uh, big mistakes were made. We'll see what happens though. Maybe I'll be wrong, and it won't be mistakes. It'll be. It'll be great, but I have a feeling the next crisis is now going to be certification. And, you know, now that we're 250 grams, as the uh, that that presents a risk to both the NAS and people on the ground. But we'll see how it uh, how that plays out in the future. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, today we're going to talk about uh, Florida Automated Vehicle Summit with Gulf Inman System Center, Florida Atlantic University, and Ticket and & Associates, and we have uh, representatives from those. We have UAS Program Manager John Watts, and, and maybe, John, you're from Gulf Unmanned System Center. Maybe you could uh, give us a little bio on yourself, how you got into unmanned technology. Yeah, UAV Program Manager over at Gulf Unmanned System Center. Uh, been in this pretty long time, since 2007, uh, worked over for DOD. Uh, went into the private sector. I've actually ran across uh, Pat, uh, or well, actually Gene, um, over at uh, Autopilot International probably back in 2008. <laughs> yep. 
I don't think uh, we, like, really talked, but I, I remember meeting you. But uh, I've been in this. Uh, you know, I got into it, uh, you know, by accident. And, uh, you know, my mission since day one, uh, when I got into DOD, they told me uh, you're the least important part of this program and the least uh, expensive part of this program. And I've been fighting to get that technology down to a price point to where it's uh, available to create jobs here in the United States. That's that's a good thing. That's good. Uh, our next guest is Professor Carl Van Allen Reader from Florida Atlantic University. Carl. So, uh, okay, yeah. So um, I'm a professor in ocean engineering at uh, FAU, and uh, basically, uh, I've been mainly working on unmanned marine vehicles, uh, mainly with unmanned service vehicles, but also a little bit with uh, underwater vehicles. Excellent, excellent. You've been at this for a few years. I've been there. I've been here since uh, 2003. And when I first started, actually, I was in uh, aeronautical engineering way, way back in the late 80s. And I worked in a lab that was testing uh, vehicles underwater to simulate weightlessness. So I've been kind of working in unmanned vehicles off and on for a pretty long time. Interesting, interesting. And then our final guest is uh, Greg Prather from Pickett and Associates. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little about yourself, sir. Yeah, I'm a registered professional surveyor in Florida and um I've been serving been in serving mapping field all my life and uh we um we have a our company has a complete aerial photogrammetry and uh light arts um from a conventional uh we we capture all of that data from our Cessna 210 and then we also have a steady drone that uh we've been implementing um, into our workflow and then the main focus of uh, this topic here is our uh, venture into the, the UAV on the water. Uh, we've been working with John to try to implement a robotic boat to do hydrographic surveys with. Interesting, interesting. So, um, you know, I was just, who, uh, how did you guys all start working together? Uh, I mean, so, so John, yeah, so well, anyway, uh, I started working with uh, John and, and Gussie actually fairly recently. This is Carl from FAU. Uh, we've been doing a project uh, for the Florida Department of Transportation uh, to look into developing systems to do unmanned surveys of bridges. So we'd be looking at the underwater components of the bridges using uh, real-time imaging sonar. Okay. And uh, what is what's the Florida Automated Vehicle Summit? Sorry, could you repeat that? Uh, what is the Florida Automated Vehicle Summit? What's what what is this? Can you tell us about it? It's essentially a, a large conference uh, that's sponsored by uh, the Florida Engineering Society together with the Florida Department of Transportation, and it's a two-day event. And in the first day. Uh, it's sort of like an indoor session where there are uh, many kind of discussions about unmanned vehicles in general, uh, meaning, you know, automated vehicles on the road, um, in the water, and in the air. And uh, there are several panel sessions where uh, the technologies and some of the issues surrounding the vehicles are, are going to be discussed. 
And then on the following day, it's going to be very cool because uh, on Tuesday, there are a series of outdoor demos of uh, unmanned uh, road vehicles, unmanned ground vehicles, off-road and on-road. Um, I think Tesla's going to be there. There's going to be a Humvee from SWRI. Um, and then there are going to be several aerial vehicles out there uh, in another section, and then uh, several maritime vehicles uh, also doing tests and demos on the water. So it should be uh, very exciting for anybody who wants to come and see that. Interesting. And so, you know, it's kind of the, the converging technology idea with the land, sea, and air. They're all kind of uh, automated systems or robotics, and, and we're just kind of all bringing those together and those people out of their silos to see what other folks are doing. Is that is that kind of a good summation of what's happening? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, to some extent, a lot of vehicles have – you know, a bit of commonality in the way they're controlled and some of the issues that surrounds them in terms of, you know, their navigation when they're, when they're coming into contact with uh, the general population. So, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of commonality and, and definitely a lot of things that can kind of uh, be learned from the cross-fertilization of ideas between the different types of, I guess, the different domains that the vehicles operate in. And, you know, uh, that's, I guess, you know, be fair question. People talk about public acceptance of robotics, and, and I personally see it as uh, something where these are turning into more of, uh, let's say, consumer products where we're getting more and more robotic-type systems, and uh, people are more accepting. Is that kind of what you're seeing, and, and you, you expect that most people will come out, or you can gen- the general public or other people that are interested? I mean, who do you think is going to come out, and, and is that part of the goal, public acceptance? I, I think so. I mean, you know, uh, that's I think that's one of the um, – one of the big pushes that Florida is taking, it's one of the first states in the, in the U.S. that is, uh, um, you know, kind of out at the forefront at trying to get uh, automatic vehicles on the road. I don't know. I've been out to uh, Mountain View, California, and you can see the, the driverless Google cars kind of going around around Shoreline Boulevard mm-hmm. and so forth. And Florida, I think, is uh, one of three states, at least as a few months ago, as of a few months ago, that actually permitted unmanned vehicles on the road, driverless cars on the road. So I think, you know, they're definitely trying to uh, be at the forefront of uh, getting the general population to accept these vehicles and also into looking for new applications for them. So, you know, the the project that we're doing uh, to look basically utilize the vehicles for uh, bridge inspection is, is kind of one of those applications. And so you're using, uh, so you're working with John, and you're using the, uh, what kind of unmanned surface vehicle are you using? So uh, the vehicle that we're using is called, uh, it's an acronym that's called WAMV. It stands for the Wave Adaptive Modular Vehicle, and it was uh, designed by a company in Berkeley, uh, California, called Marine Advanced Research. It's essentially a twin-hulled catamaran that has inflatable hulls, uh, and uh, basically, they sell these platforms. You can buy them in different configurations, but the one we purchased was essentially only only the hardware, the mechanical hardware, and then we've outfitted it with our own propulsion system, uh, communications, uh, and automation, and so forth. And that's what the uh, university will be demonstrating. Yes, yeah. It's a 16-foot vehicle, about 8.5 feet wide, <laughs> pretty heavy, about 450 pounds. Um, Interesting. And it's got uh, uh, like a real-time imaging sonar boom that will kind of lower down in the water, uh, <coughs> allow 
allow you to kind of uh, beam back live images of uh, of structures, say um, say along the pier, the pier, uh, excuse me, the pier. There's several supports that'll be there, and we'll also probably put some targets down as well. Uh, so as a boat moves past the the pilings in the pier, uh, we'll be able to image those. Interesting. And now, John, maybe maybe you could tell me a little bit about. I know you we talked offline, but you know you're telling me a little bit about your project that you've been working on. You have a, a unmanned surface vehicle, and uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So. Uh, Pickett Associates contacted us. Uh, well, we had met them through an AUVSI uh, convention over in Orlando, and we started a discussion about some of their needs and what they needed to be done. And, uh, you know, they asked me if I could do it, and I accepted it. I said, yeah, I, I can do it, um, just from my past experience dealing with uh, targets, doing uh, maritime uh, targets. And uh, we, we've been working for probably about 120 days now. Um, we've got a working prototype. Um, it's all probably about 90% off-the-shelf parts. I, I did that from some of my background with dealing with SOCOM. Um, I, I knew logistically it was better to do that. And uh, we've got everything uh, pretty much panned out with the system. Um, it, it's got a range of probably about a mile over the water. Um, there was a lot of propagation models we had to work through as far as with the RF stuff. A little bit of electrical engineering problems that we had. Uh, some of the first issues that we had were some of the power issues with reverse, and uh, we had to change up the system. But, uh, you know, we did testing today, and we were at a mile, and we were able to get enough throughput to stream video and control two software um, packages at the same time. So it was pretty good stuff. Um, it, it, very impressive unit. Uh, it's cost-effective. And uh, it's something I think that will be a, a, a good product for the market as far as uh, hydro surveying. And uh, I guess the idea with this, too, you you designed this using all COTS parts and pieces. And, and so did that, let's say, pay off in keeping the system, uh, let's say, commercially viable? Yeah, because of the logistics. You know, initially when I went into it, I was looking at, like, cannon plugs and, and things of that nature. And when I started looking at it, it was just so hard. And it, you had to be pretty much a, uh, you know, a supply person to figure out what to order. So we started looking at, uh, you know, just stuff that was from Home Depot, um, West Marine, Amazon, and, and things that were easy to track down and get within two days. And that was kind of where our decision process came in to develop it with some of the cot stuff. Uh, initially, you know, like I said, we wanted to use some of the military-grade stuff, but I went back to what I learned when I was in uh, doing R&D, um, using off-the-shelf stuff. I mean, just logistically, it's a lot easier, and if you have a problem, you know, you're not out for five days, you're out for two days, and then, you know, hopefully you'll have a supply of that stuff, obviously, but, you know, a pack-out kit. Yeah, I've run into some of the same issues, and it is nice if you can go to uh, Home Depot or Ace Hardware or whatever and pick up parts and pieces and use them from there. So, I mean, you guys, and I'm going to talk to Greg, I guess, is the end user really on this, or the customer, but I wanted to talk a little bit about, I mean, you know, the the experience that end user or customer comes to you and says, hey, 
we need these, let's say, capabilities, and then you as the person who did the design builder have these uh, challenges to overcome. Was it pretty straightforward? Or did you have some issues uh, that you, you really were like head scratchers and that you had to overcome to meet the needs of the end user? Is that towards Greg or me? You, John. Oh, sorry. Um, yes, there was. Um, some of the issues that we had uh, is, as far as the, the RC stuff, um, you know, I come from a, a DOD background, so the RC stuff was a, a learning curve for me. Um, initially, what we had did, uh, I'm a part-time instructor at Tallahassee Community College, so I looked at everything and I said, okay, I'm going to get this guy to engineer this, and I, it's not going to be a problem. I can figure it out. And uh, that was... Uh, what I found to be a little bit of a mistake because the RC stuff is a little bit more complicated to deal with than turnkey, uh, you know, product that's uh, built for just turnkey operation, if you will. So those were some of the challenges that we had. Um, some of the software integration and the integration of systems um, as far as dealing with RF, uh, 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 Propagation models, those were challenges. Um, you know, our boat is 9.5 feet long. So some of the uh, antenna configurations we had to change around because we were getting uh, some interference from some of the other systems, and we had to get rid of some other systems. But, you know, all in all, we've got everything working good, and uh, it, it's working fine, and it's, it's pretty user-friendly. It's just going to take a little bit of a learning curve as far as the training aspect of things. Right. And then that, that kind of segues right to our customer and user, Greg. Maybe you can explain, uh, Greg, how you used uh, man boats and maybe what you're going to do in transition to, let's say, unmanned surface vehicles. Yeah, so so our concept of this, this boat is we want it to look and smell like a man boat, but we want to operate the boat from the tailgate of our pickup truck. And um, there are a lot of things that, that, that we do on our man boat that um, we had to um, we had to automate, figure out how to automate on, on the, uh, the robot boat. And we've got all of that stuff uh, working now. And so we're, overall, we're, we're pretty satisfied with uh, where we're at in the uh, development process. And um, so, you know, I mean, what do you think uh, this is going to bring, like, advantages to the mapping community or the surveying community, uh, the, the unmanned boat? What, what, are the, uh, what are the advantages of using this from the, well, the, besides the manned boat? So the main advantage or main focus of this is safety. Um, mm -hmm. some, of the, some of the water bodies that we survey now <clears throat> are um, – the water is uh, it's it's not a real safe place, and so my goal is is to get my uh, my surveyors out of that water and on the uh, on the land looking at all, looking at everything that they would normally look at on the boat. They're they're looking at the, all of the all of these things from the tailgate of the pickup truck, which is a much safer environment for them. Well, now this environment is it just because you know there's like the water is toxic or they're 
uh, you guys are in Florida. There's certain uh, animal considerations. What what's the uh, the real safety risk, or is it just drowning from falling off the boat while working? Um, all of those, uh, but but the main the main issue is the toxic toxicity of the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, primarily, what kind of work do you think you'll do with this uh, unmanned surface vehicle? Um, the same work that we're doing now. Um, with our uh, manned um, hydrographic survey vessels. Hydrographic surveys of freshwater bodies. Okay, okay. Interesting. And um, so uh, are you also using um, your, are you, have you considered using uh, aerial platforms for your work? Uh, yeah, we do that every day. Again, as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're a, uh, we have a full-service aerial survey shop already in place. We operate a 210 Cessna, and it's got a uh, Orion uh, LiDAR system in it and a, and a digital camera. And we also have a, a steady drone. Oh, yeah, okay, you did mention that. I'm sorry. So, yeah, so how do, and how do you find the, um, uh, the, the drone to work for your business? Um, well, it's been a little bit of a challenge to get it get it where we want it to be. Uh, we're pretty close. Uh, we're, we're looking at uh, some topographic uh, mapping applications and some inspection applications for the drone. And do you see it replacing, um, you know, the manned aircraft or just another tool in the toolbox? We don't see it replacing anything that we're already doing. We see it uh, being a better way to do some things that are being done um, you know, with like, for example, uh, a bucket truck or a, an aerial lift or a, a crane or something like that, a cheaper and better way to do some of those things. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. And uh, that kind of uh, falls in line with what we hear a lot here uh, on the podcast uh, when people uh, adopt this technology. So I'm glad to hear that's working out for you. But I do, uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk about Robo Boat and Robo X a little bit, and and uh, I'm going to address that to Carl. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about Robo X and the Robo Boat. Sure. Uh, Robot X is a uh, it's an international competition that uh, actually the last year was the first year it was held and was held in Singapore, and it's basically a competition where they put together. Uh, at least at the first competition, there were three teams from uh, five different Pacific Rim countries. So there was Japan, South Korea, Australia, Singapore, uh, the United States. I think that's five. And uh, basically, so these 15 teams were competing uh, to basically uh, complete an an on-the-water obstacle course that involved uh, basically vision-based navigation through uh, static obstacles on the water. And then it also included trying to localize acoustic targets underneath the water. And uh, so, you know, the, the challenge is actually quite difficult, and it, and it uh, encompasses a lot of the challenges that are sort of generally encountered uh, um, in navigation and also in, in uh, obstacle avoidance and things like that for unmanned service vehicles. Uh, now, um, we're, you know, FAU has a combined team with uh, Villanova, and so basically we have, uh, last, last time around, we had about 17 students that we sent out to Singapore from across, uh, from across all the fields of, of engineering, pretty much. And uh, RoboBoat is similar. It's, it's just a smaller scale. That's usually held in the summertime in Virginia Beach. And we usually go that one alone, so usually it's just a team of students from FAU. And it's, it's very similar, but on a much smaller scale. Um, 
and so you know it's it's again it's a navigation through obstacle uh, courses and things like this. This coming year's Robot X, which is going to be uh, in December 11th in 2016, is uh, basically also going to include a new challenge that requires us to deploy an underwater vehicle uh, to perform uh, uh, certain like imaging tasks around this uh, kind of like this stationary uh, buoy. Um, so it's it's pretty challenging, and it it actually trains the students on a lot of the f different facets, including things that are a little bit fuzzy, like team management and finance and so forth, as well as as the as the hard engineering stuff. So yeah, that's um, a, that could be tricky when you said you're sending all those uh, students to Singapore that could uh, get costly real quick. But then also with the, oh, yeah. the components and parts. Are you you guys rely on sponsors or is there you know? We do, and and if anybody is interested in donating, uh, you you're always welcome to uh, you know we definitely appreciate your help. Uh, the easiest thing to do would be to go to our website, which is auvsiasv.fau.edu, and uh, there are links from that page that go to our RobotX page, and this is actually our RoboBoat page because it's, it's hosted by the ABSI, so we, we kind of use that as a, uh, as a way of uh, um, uh, announcing the website, I suppose. Um, but we'd certainly welcome any support we can get, and it's basically going to uh, STEM education for students and to give them a real-world working experience and to get them out there in, in the real world instead of just in class. Oh, I like that. I like that idea, and it sounds worthwhile. That's a worthwhile effort. And then, um, John, why don't you? Do you have a website where people can see the the project that you're working on, or the projects that you're uh, working we, on? We do not right now have that on the web. But uh, if you want to visit us on the web, it's uh, Gus Center at uh, no GusCenter dot com. It's G U S C E N T E R dot com. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, it was informative. We could uh, learn some stuff about uh, some surface vehicles and how they'll be used and whatnot. And uh, I'd like to thank everyone for being on. Uh, it was informative. I learned a lot. Uh, Gene, anything in closing? I think that uh, the the marine side of the autonomous craft are going to come on strong. Um, I started to jump in there with uh, several search and rescue things. I know people are tired of getting me, you know, keep talking about search and rescue, but uh, you know, there are times that uh, it's just going to be better to send a, a, an autonomous boat out there. I, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, I know it's exciting, and uh, you know, you guys will have to keep us uh, informed, and maybe we can have you back after the competition, Carl, and uh, hear what happened. But uh, okay, well, thanks for being on the show, you guys, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next uh, during the next episode. Have a good day. Have a good Thanksgiving, folks. See ya. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. All right. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.